Today's gospel lesson comes from the book of Haggai, chapter 2, verses 10 to 23. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priest what the law says. If a person carries consecrated meat in the fold of his garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? The priest answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people, And this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer, there there is defiled. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you turn to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate, And the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall each fall each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. And this is God's word. Good morning, everyone. My name is Josh. I'm I'm thankful that uh, you have decided to worship with us for those of you who are in person and those of you who are joining us online. If you are new or visiting for the first time, I do encourage you to to stick around for a little bit, for a few weeks or so, get to know our church a little bit better. Um, Maybe pull myself aside after worship and we can uh, kind of connect and share and get to know one one another. Um, I could share a little bit more about our church's mission, our values, um, and really our heart for church planting here in the city. And so today we are going to close our sermon series on the book of Haggai. And so if you haven't been with us these past couple of weeks, uh, Haggai is what they call a minor prophet. It's only two chapters long, and it's hidden at the end of the Old Testament. And yet Haggai, although short in length, shows major implications to who we are and who God is in relation to us. 
And so we thought as a staff that it'd be important to, to go through this text together as a church, verse by verse, and see what God is saying today, here, and now. And so the context of Haggai, the Israelites, the exiles, um, happens during a time period where God's people, the exiles, have found freedom from Babylonian captivity. And they've returned to their homeland in Jerusalem, where now they are called to build up God's temple. Why? Before Babylonian captivity, God's temple was, was destroyed. And now when they return home to Jerusalem, God's temple is left in ruins. And so God calls his people, the exiles, to rebuild his temple. So he gives them a purpose. He gives them a mission. He's given them a calling. And in Haggai chapter 1, we see God uses the prophet Haggai to call against the idolatry of his people. And he's called them to rebuild his temple, to rebuild his house, the very dwelling place that God resides with his people. And at the end of chapter 1, we see God's people respond to that calling. They respond to Haggai, and they begin to rebuild that temple. And in the beginning of chapter 2, we see uh, the beginnings of that rebuilding of God's temple, but we see that there's uncertainty and doubt with the people. They're uncertain that they're actually going to complete this task and this calling and this command that God has given them. And so they're, in, they're living in fear. They're worried they, they see the work that they're doing in rebuilding this temple, and it's nothing in comparison to the first temple that was built. And so God sends them a promise. He says, fear not, for I am with you. The Lord Almighty, the, the, the God of all things of the universe, is with you. And so God's people, the exiles, are then given confidence, and they're given encouragement. And so today we're going to look at the, the last few verses of the book of Haggai. And we're going to see three things about God and how he relates to his people. One, we're going to take a look at our religiosity. Two, we're going to look at our productivity. And three, we're going to look at God's blessing and how do we receive it. For our first point today is our religiosity. Today's passage, it starts with Haggai giving an illustration and telling a parable and asking the priest some questions. And it's some pretty simple and straightforward questions. What, what Haggai is asking the priest is, if something holy touches something unholy, does that holy thing remain holy? And the priests say, no. Then he asks the priest, if a person who is unholy or unclean touches something that's holy, does that holy thing then become unclean? And the priest says, yes, of course. It becomes defiled. It becomes unclean. What Haggai is doing here in this text, giving this parable about Old Testament purity and ritual laws, is saying that your religiosity your goodness, your sense of moralism, your offerings, your sacrifices are not good enough. They're all unclean. He's, he's not just speaking about the outward acts of the exiles. He's not just speaking about the outward offerings and sacrifices that his people are bringing to God. 
He's talking about their heart. He's saying you think you can become clean by associating your, yourself with something holy, with something righteous. You think if you do religious things or religious activity that then you will become good. Then you will become holy. If you surround yourself with doing things that uh, pertains to the law, if you're obedient to the law, if you, if you give yourself up and give me offerings and sacrifices, then I will consider you good. Do you see what Haggai is doing here? Haggai is explaining the reality that no matter what you offer, no matter what you sacrifice, no matter what you think you can offer to God or give to God, that will never be enough. And so in their doubt and in their fear and in their uncertainty as they listen to God's command to rebuild his house and rebuild his temple, Haggai is also giving them a challenge. He's saying, as you work and rebuild my temple, know this, your work, your work in rebuilding my house, that's not what makes my house good. That's not what makes my house holy. Friends, this should speak to many of us. Many of us here are religious people. And do you know how I know that? Because some of you are here at church on a Sunday morning. When's the last time that you've come to church on a Sunday to worship God and not out of a sense of moral obligation? This is something that we all struggle with and wrestle with from time to time. And right now, that may be you. What God is saying here is that your religiosity or your sense of goodness or religion isn't going to save you. Now, what is religiosity? There's a, there's a stark difference between being religious versus being a Christian. Religion tells you you have to work to earn God. You have to obey to earn God's, God's blessing. But the gospel and Christianity says that we are obedient out of a response to God's grace. Because you already have God through Christ, you're able to build his church, to build his house, to build his temple. And there's a vast difference between being religious and being a Christian. We tell ourselves if we associate ourselves or if we associate with Christian things, then we will be holy. If we talk about Christian things, then I am a Christian. Friends, a lot of us can talk about repentance. We can sing about repentance. We can go to community group and share about repentance and still not be repentant. And so Haggai is speaking very much not at just our outward acts, not, not just the exiles' outward acts, not just their words and their toil, but he's speaking to their hearts. <laughs> what happened in the beginning of creation in the story of Genesis? We see that God creates the universe, and he creates man and woman, and he creates them with a specific purpose, to worship and to delight in him. He's made mankind holy. And, and they're content and they're joyful and they're able to, to experience the goodness and faithfulness of God. 
And they're called to be holy. And they're called to be in relationship with one another. And they're called to rule over and have dominion over created things. And yet when sin enters into the world in Genesis 3, what do we see happen? Mankind looked to created things to be satisfied when the only way they could be satisfied is going to the creator. And so we see the curse of sin still in existence today. Telling us that we have to be clean and we can work for it and we can earn it all by ourselves. Later, Haggai moves in and gives another reality check to the people. This leads us to my second point today. Our productivity. Our productivity. Haggai says, now give careful thought to this, give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. He's, he's telling the exiles, he's telling the people here to pay attention. Think about this. Before you guys were captives, before you guys were living in captivity, what was life like for you? And during this time period here in the Old Testament, God's people and, and the rest of the world was living in an agrarian culture. And so a lot of their value and sense of worth and satisfaction came from what they can produce, what they can farm, what they can uh, grow um, through the fields and all of um, the produce and farming and land that they had. And God is telling them, look, look at what you have produced in your life. Or, in fact, he says, what, look at what you haven't produced in your life. He's saying, every time that you try to heap 20 measures, there were only 10. When you go to a wine vat and you try to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. All that you try to produce, all that you try to farm, all that you try to gain has been very little. And the amazing thing here is God isn't talking about the quantity of the production. He's talking about the quality of it. He's saying no matter how hard you work, no matter how much you invest, no matter how much you sacrifice and pour into producing in your life, you come up short. The lack of production in your life has not pointed you back to the one who produces in your life. You see, the blessings in our life or the lack thereof, God isn't doing it to punish you. He's not doing it because he doesn't love you. But he's doing it to point you back to who the one is that produces fruit in your life today. God is saying that the very things that you are looking towards to give you value, to give you worth, to give you satisfaction, to give you joy, and to give you peace actually results in taking away from your joy taking away from your satisfaction, and taking away from your peace. Your career is a good thing. Your family is a good thing. Your relationships is a good thing. But it wasn't meant to be the ultimate thing. 
And when you pour into these things, expecting them to give you an, a, re, a result that only God can give you, you'll be left anxious, fearful, discouraged, and discontent. God is saying these things, these good things in your life, your career, your talents, your gifts, your family, your relationships, these are all good things, not meant to be the ultimate thing, but to point you to the only one that can give you satisfaction and true joy and true peace. The blessings and the gifts and the rewards in your life today, where do they drive you? Where do they point you to? Where are you running towards to experience it? The blessing of God. We can continue to pour into these things that we value, these priorities. What we're actually seeing in this text is a natural disorder and disruptance in the priorities and the loves of our lives. When the order of our loves are misplaced and misordered, then we experience disorder. That's what Haggai is saying here in this passage. You expect this thing to produce and to give you value and to give you a sense of worth, it produces very little. And it takes away from your value. And it takes away from your sense of worth. You expect your jobs and your career to give you a validation and identity in your life, you lose your identity, and you become consumed by your career. You expect your religiosity to make you good. You put efforts and sacrifices into serving the church and think that that will be good enough for you to be labeled as righteous. It makes you proud, and it makes you tired and restless. Haggai is speaking to the very problem of our lives, the heart of it, the root of it. He's not just speaking about the outward productivity of our lives. He's speaking at the lack of productivity in our lives. The passage then closes with God choosing Zerubbabel and identifying him to be like God's signet ring. And so we're going to look at our third and final point, God's blessing. How do we get God's blessing? We can't earn it. We can't work for it. We can't sacrifice for it. We can only receive it. It says in verse 20, the word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brothers. And on that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. 
Now, what we're seeing here is God restating his promises, and he's using battle language here. And it's very subtle throughout the entire book of Haggai where God uses battle language. First, in the beginning of Haggai chapter 1, it says the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai. And anytime you see that in the Hebrew text, it refers to um, the equipping of a sword or a weapon. And so here God's word is being used as a sword and a weapon to cut against the idolatry of his people. And in the beginning of chapter 2, in God's promises to his people, uh, it's restated here at the end of our text. That the Lord is reminding his people that he is a mighty God. He is a powerful God. He is in control of all things. And he will overturn his people's enemies. And so we see here that God chooses Zerubbabel. He chooses a representative. And he uses the illustration of a signet ring. And so here God says to Zerubbabel, you will be like my signet ring. What is a signet ring? It was worn by kings and rulers to identify them as royalty. It was, it was almost like a, um, a significant representation of who the king and the ruler was. But it was also used as an as a instrument to create a seal and a stamp on any official documents passed on from the king and the ruler. And so if the king and the, or a ruler would pass on a new law or a new edict or a new command, he would take that document, he would fold it up, and then he will seal it with his signet ring. And so God is saying here, Zerubbabel, I have chosen you. I have chosen you to be like my signet ring, to stamp my blessing onto my people. And what's amazing here is... In verse 20, at the end of this passage, we see God identifies Zerubbabel as the governor of Judah. And so God is identifying his, his chosen by his function and his role and his vocation and his job as a ruler. But at the end of this passage, what do we see? We see God identifies Zerubbabel as a son. He identifies Zerubbabel as son of Shealtiel. He gives the exiles a representative in Zerubbabel. Later on, God will give us a greater representative and a greater son. And his name was Jesus, God's own son. And in John chapter 2, we see, God, or we see Jesus in the, in the gospel, in the New Testament, we see Jesus go to the Pharisees and he says to them, tear this temple down and I will raise it up in three days. He wasn't talking about a building. He was talking about himself. He was talking about himself because he knew what he would endure on the cross. And on the cross, Jesus, who was the only one who had access to God, gave up his access so that you can gain access to him. Jesus, who deserved every blessing in the world, took up that cross, was nailed to a tree, and dealt with the consequence and the punishment and the curse of sin so that you would be blessed. Jesus, who was the very dwelling place of God, the true and living temple, came down, left God's presence so that you can gain his presence. Do you see that? 
God's blessing doesn't just come in the form of gifts and rewards in your life, but it comes as Jesus himself. The saving grace that we need. And Christ is the one that makes you holy. Your faith in him. Not your good works, not your ability to be a good person, not your morality or your ability to to be good. But it's the one who was perfect, who was perfectly good, and yet at the same time sacrificed all of himself so that he could be yours. Friends, our utmost priority to build God's house isn't so that we can make ourselves good. It's not so that we can make ourselves righteous, but we build God's house because Christ has made us righteous and continues to make us righteous. And that is what drives our purpose and our mission as a church, to build his house, not to gain, but to respond out of everything that's been given. And friends, your faith in Christ, your faith in the gospel, God's spirit will dwell in you and you will be like many temples, the very dwelling place of God, gathered and scattered to be on mission to build up his church. Haggai, the entire story itself takes place in the context of community. What are we seeing here in this passage? We're seeing very much a group of people, God's people, doing life together, living on mission together, speaking into one another together. Haggai spoke truth in love, centered in God. Are you able to do that for one another? Oftentimes, we don't want to have hard and difficult conversations with the people here at church or the people that you're close to. And oftentimes, we say we don't want to hurt their feelings or, um, you know, we don't have these challenging conversations because we love them. But the reality is, if you truly love somebody, if you truly care for them, if you truly seek for their advancement, you'll be honest with them. And we see Haggai do this for the exiles, for God's people. As you continue to live a life on mission, to build up God's church, will you continue to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Friends, God's blessing of salvation, of redemption, of forgiveness of sins, we have no part in that. We did nothing to contribute to that outside of the fact that we needed it. God called the exiles to prioritize his house and build his temple. And he's calling you to do the same. Let's pray.